The Athletic. This is Why Always Us. I'm David Mooney. Sam Lee's here. Hi, Sam. Hello. And this is your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. You can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of the podcasts for less than £1 a week. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. Sam, I thought we'd start this week um, looking back over a little bit about how things have changed because a, a tweet that uh, wasn't actually to us but uh, was from one of my friends, Kieran, uh, Kier's scrollings on Twitter, uh, jumped out at me over the weekend after the performance against Sheffield United. Um, so I want, to, I want to start there. He, he, he wrote, A thought occurred to me there that City's performance today will be a glimpse of what we'll get in the next month or so. Big games coming up, so the shackles are back on. Tight, solid, and not all that exciting to watch, but aiming for results. Reckon that was Pep trialling it today. Um, how much of that do you, do you think is true, Sam? Or how much of it was it the age-old problem that, that City were coming up against a back five with four sitting in front of them? Yeah, uh, I saw that as well. and I thought it was really interesting. Straight away, I thought, I don't really agree. But also, there's a part of it like I hadn't, I just hadn't thought of it like that. I hadn't thought that, you know, City would suddenly go back to what they did earlier in the season because, for reasons which we definitely will come on to, you know, Guardiola said he wasn't entirely happy with that. Um, now, there's a whole little subsection to that debate as well. He, he might not have been happy with it game to game, but. It's one of those elements where I don't think you throw the baby out with a bathwater. I think there was probably some good ideas in there. And if we're thinking about Anfield and how City have played there over the years, but particularly in the nil-nil a couple of seasons ago when Mahrez missed the pen, that... That, that was so controlled, wasn't it? That it was, was a very yeah. controlled game. And I would imagine... I would, And this is the element where I hadn't really thought about it because I don't really think... Pep will go to Anfield all guns blazing and play like he did at West Brom, for example. Um, and, you know, even when they played Palace and they beat Palace, that was kind of a similar inverted wingers kind of thing. Didn't create too much, but, you know, scored from set pieces and outside the box and, you know, the, the kind of win that you, you're going to need to get. But it wasn't City's best attacking display. Um, so, yeah, I think... The bit I don't agree with was is the bit that Pep was preparing for it against Sheffield United because I don't think those teams, apart from maybe Spurs when they come to the Etihad, are going to play like Sheffield United did. And also the other element is City just rested a lot of players. And I think Guardiola was like, we know what we're going to expect from this. We know it's going to be a really difficult team to break down. They're probably not going to counter us too much. I'm, I'm going to need to rest some players because he's not going to rest them at Burnley away. And then once you enter the run after Burnley away, you're not going to want to be dropping out stones here or there or Cancelo here or there, or even Rodri, who he obviously loves. Um, so he probably thought, like he did earlier in the season, we're probably going to get two or three good chances and we're going to need to score them. And the risk I'm going to take is I'm going to pick this team. It's going to be a horrible game. As he said himself afterwards, he thought, as soon as he saw the weather, he was like, this is going to be rank. So I think he just went, right, well, I'm going to take a bit of a risk here, but we've still got enough in the squad to beat Sheffield United. 
we just need to get over the line and ultimately that's exactly what happened nothing more nothing less i was going to say like in terms of control like city had control of the game there was that there was a couple of moments where sheffield united broke away and and um you know there, there was one moment in particular where i don't know if edison had it covered or not but it flashed towards the back post and he yeah. he, he threw sure himself across yeah um but other than that, it was it, it was City again in control of the game, and you always felt that if they still needed a goal, then there was the chance of being able to kind of open it up and and, and make it a little bit more expansive than it was. And it was again, it, it did feel to me a bit like Pep going, "Look, we're in control of this. I'm not too worried about it at the moment." In the in the same way that he was doing earlier in the season. Yeah, um, I just I don't know. I'm just this might not be right, but I just think there's only kind of one way you can really play and like like i said with all the changes made and and the the setup of the back five and the not not having too many spaces you know sit you know city could have maybe got zinchenko and gundawin and and foden working triangles a bit more often or they could have got bernardo to help out torres a bit more because you know torres never really got past bogle unless um, bogle made a mistake um but yeah, I just think it's the only. It was the only kind of approach to the game. I don't think they needed to go full throttle. I don't think with the players out, you know, Stones isn't such a big one, obviously, because Laporte coming back in, there shouldn't be too much of a difference there. I still think going to Anfield, Stones should play, but that's I'm sure, sure, I'm sure it's something we'll come on to later. But yeah, the other ones, you know, you lose a bit without Cancelo there. Um, you know, I suppose Sterling as well. It was just. It was just like I say. It was just kind of Pep knows it's going to be a stodgy game. Rest some players. Um, Sheffield United kind of. It, I wouldn't say it means more to Sheffield United than it does to City, but um, Sheffield United are kind of battling for everything, aren't they? And City, yeah. you know, City are. Well, that's the beauty of City. United lost against Sheffield United in part because their motivation wouldn't have been this is a huge game for us. That's a game they need to win. The beauty of City is they realised that every game is one they need to win. So probably the motivation levels were similar between City and Sheffield United, whereas against United and Sheffield United, it was pro- there was probably a bit more of a gap, and that's why United haven't been able to put kind of consistency together over the last couple of years, even though they're doing better now. So yeah, between you know City's mentality of we need to win every game, the fact that they've got much better players, the fact that, like I say, they controlled the game, but they're always going to control the game because Sheffield United wanted them to have the ball. So they were going to have the ball. It was very difficult to find the spaces, I suppose the only other thing I'd say is, if it was November, I'd be a bit more like, not really sure what City are doing here. They're not. There's no real sign that they're they're getting any better. But because they played so well over the last six months, six weeks, sorry, it's just one of those where, because of all the circumstances, you go, okay, I'll accept that's, it. This that's week, just yeah. what it is. Yeah, that, yeah, it is what it is. Move on. Um, so that's why I don't really necessarily agree with it being like that in the next few big games because like I say only really Spurs will play like that Arsenal won't play like that um, United in March might do um, Liverpool will be completely different at Anfield um, Gladbach will be completely different both games um, so no not really um, but will there be an element of control in the game at Anfield yes I think so um, I'd like to think it's not it's not just going to go back to you know November kind of performances or October performances. I don't think that'll be the case, but I don't think, like I say, it'll be West Brom either. But then after that, with the home games, you know, if Guardiola's talking about going back to, you know, 17, 18 levels and having high wide wingers and feeling more stable, you know, City battered Arsenal. They battered Spurs in those seasons, you know, playing at home. So I I can see, yeah, City being a bit more like themselves. And by that, I mean, they're attacking best. Uh, Yeah. 
in in those games. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And obviously, Anfield. If we talk, if we were talking about this th- Thursday morning, we'd be thinking, God, you know, this this like Liverpool is really struggling, aren't they? And this is the best chance City have got in years. And I feel I still think it is their best chance that City have got in years to win at Anfield. But with their results over the last few days, Liverpool are starting to look. You know, a bit more ominous. <laughs> Pretty again, typical, so. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, of course it is. But I suppose I was going to say you wouldn't want it any other way. Like you would, you'd want them to be really struggling and City win easily. But um, mate, I've made the case yeah. that that like Liverpool could go through the worst run in their history, end up in the third tier, and draw City in the FA Cup at Anfield, and City would still phone in one of those performances like they always do. It just it just happens every year. Um, yeah, I'm sure it'll be a draw. We'll talk about it for an hour, but it'll be a draw. So yeah, I, I was going to say, would he take a nil nil? Do you think at this stage? Uh, yeah. Four points, what, are they four points ahead with a game in hand? Yeah. Yeah, tell it all day. Yeah. Um, we were talking recently about uh, the improvement in performances, Sam. Um, you asked Guardiola this week, uh, ahead of the Sheffield United game, what he was doing with the team uh, differently after the Manchester Derby nil-nil draw earlier in the season and, and why he felt he needed to open up. Um, this, I, I thought his response was quite interesting, so I'm going to play it now. This is what he had to say. I didn't like much, so what uh, the way we're playing... And uh, we come back, we were in the previous seasons with the wingers wider and higher and uh, and come back on our principles. The rest is uh, is the quality of uh, our players. So for many reasons, the beginning for the few rest, for the lack of physical conditions, some players, for the COVID, many, many players that we had. We have to adapt the way we play for the quality of the players we had in that moment in the better conditions. That was the reason why I tried to... F- find uh, the way but uh, but uh, and at the end I felt that uh, wingers white and high help us to, to be more stable to, to have more control in many aspects and uh, yeah and the quality of the players do, do the rest and especially especially one thing so we when we had the ball we run less so we have the tendency all the managers when the situations go bad is because we don't fight and we don't run or we don't make a spirit or we don't and always I believe this is completely opposite. The players always want to do it well. The reason why we play not good is because we when we had the ball, we moved too much. We ran too much. And um, football when you had the ball almost you have to walk and run in the right moment. And when we don't have the ball, we have to run as a as never as never like less ball in your in your life. This is the I think with the ball now we are more calm, we are more patient, we have more passes, we we everyone is more in the position. And that's why we are able to to play a little bit better. But uh, every game is differently and the setup, for example, the play the play Sheffield always uncomfortable to us. Always. Always was uncomfortable. That system the five three two uh, it's difficult to attack, and that's why I'm a little bit concerned today about the game from tomorrow, a little bit. Okay, but you've you mentioned the the running less a few times now. Just how do you achieve that? How do you make the team walk more with the ball? Is that the positioning of the players? Is is how yeah. how do you do it? Stay in the the players move less in the position, and the ball comes where we are. So there is one moment is that I move to go to pick the ball or I stay in the position and the ball comes where I am. And uh, I think we feel comfortable when everyone is in his position. Uh, it's quicker, our game is quicker. It's a, better, it's a better position when we lose the ball. We are in better position to the transitions. And uh, and this is it works. It works for us, not now. 
it works in the years we were together and we win win titles. Now we talked about fitness there, Sam. We talked about COVID, lack of also, preseason, yeah. um, like like all the all the different uh, aspects of of um, you know saving the players in that in in that they should be walking more with the ball and, and not running as much as they were. Um, and again, not liking what he was seeing, but he used to talk about City being in control with these games and, and having control and, and and it being a good performance. Has he changed his mind, or is he is he just been a little bit creative with how he describes things in the past? Um, well, yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I think one is obviously. He's not going to lay into the players and say their shit after a game, almost you know, no matter what, really. So th- that's a big part of it. But the other, another part of it is, as we probably acknowledged, even when we weren't convinced by the performances when we did podcasts, you know, and even like kind of, I remember this being the case last season before we got the podcast going, like that Newcastle game away when um, they drew two all. And he would say, look, we had the chances. You know, they created hardly anything and they've scored from like their first shot on target. We had the chances. And that has, whenever he said that, it's been true. There's been a lot of games where that is the case. So if he's been talking about control earlier in the season when they weren't playing so well, in most of those games, that would have actually been the case. But I think there's a big gap between that level of control. Because look, at, let's not forget, if we look at the table, City have only lost two games this season which is the fewest in the league. So even when they weren't playing up to their level, they weren't losing either. But there's a big gap between having control and playing at the level they played in the last six weeks. Yeah. And I think that's where Guardiola um, has, you know, that's that's where the difference is. And that's, that's the nuance, isn't it? And yeah. that's why he's happier now. Because it's not just like, like we're not imagining things. And I, I think I mentioned this last week, but I'm glad. And I was glad after kind of the West Brom game and um, the game before that, to see City fans on Twitter saying, God, Guardiola's mood now could, compared to earlier in the season is just so different because he clearly wasn't happy. And like, and like I said before, like maybe that's, that led people to read too much into what was his thinking about his future or whatever, but he clearly wasn't happy about how the team were actually performing. But he could still have been happy with the control and the fact that City weren't losing games. But yeah, the difference between those performances and now is night and day. And I think that's the difference. Now they've still got control, but they're playing much better. And I think that's why he wasn't, he wouldn't have been lying earlier in the season when he talked about the control, but he would have been saying, yeah, well, we can do more. But obviously, like I say, he's not going to criticise them at the same time. Yeah. Um, what do you, I mean, what do you make of, of his uh, analysis of, of the last few weeks? I, I think I do. I like you picked up on with your second question. I, did, I think the walking thing is fascinating. Yeah, I think that's all positioning, isn't it? Um, and so when he mentioned COVID and fitness and things like that, maybe the reason they were playing like that earlier in the season with the inverted wingers was he was just thinking, and you know, he did say, as much as he talked about control, he did say they, they weren't fit enough at the start of the season to control a game for 90 minutes. So maybe he thought that was the best way um, in terms of the overall approach. But where he talks about now, you know, the approach is different, the wingers are wider, and you know, um, you know players are keeping to their positions more, but the rest is the quality of the players. Um, because obviously... He's drawn a distinction there between the players being really good, but also he's obviously tweaked a few things to make them play a bit better. And yeah, earlier in the season, he probably thought this is probably the best way we can play with fitness concerns and, you know, the the short preseason and players coming back from COVID. We can't, and he said we're not a team to run up and down the pitch 40, 50 metres. So if the fitness wasn't there, he probably just thought, 
and the sharpness wasn't there. He probably thought the best way is just to keep everybody compact in the middle of the field, inverted wingers, Gundogan not going too far forward, doing that, and that's how we're going to control these games. And yeah, he didn't really like it, but he probably felt it was necessary. Um, the other element to it of, is probably I don't know maybe the fact that the players probably felt well we're playing shit here, like they would probably not enjoy- that- maybe not even enjoying it, you know. Yeah, exactly. They were probably thinking we can do we can do better than this. And I'm not saying they were thinking what's this guy asking us to do, but I'm sure they were just thinking, you know, the confidence. Maybe not the confidence, but the general mood would have been a bit like, you know, they were even when they were winning games, they were kind of joyless affairs, weren't they? Maybe I'm being harsh, but I'm thinking the Sheffield United away win when Walker scored from outside the box was kind of it's like nothing. Like they won, but there was no real difference between the West Ham game that was won all, which was awful. And like there was, obviously there were better wins against Fulham and Burnley, but even when City were winning, and that's why it feels strange to say they only lost two games because it did, it did feel like they were doing much worse than they <laughs> actually were. But I'm sure the players were probably thinking, okay, we need to do something here. And I suppose the natural tendency for players as well, Guardiola said the tendency for managers is to get players to run more. But I'm sure the players were probably thinking, we need to, you know, we need to be busier. We need to do this. But Guardiola, of course, for him, it's all about no, be patient stay in your position the ball will come to you and he mentioned that when I asked him how do you do it he was like there's a moment where you've got to decide do I go to the ball or does the ball come to me and one of the things he mentioned about the Leicester game if you remember with that whole Fernandinho sub thing he mentioned how he said the game was one all but they were playing like they were losing and he he can't he, I can't remember exactly what he said so I'll paraphrase but it was like he was saying they were rushing the game they were trying to maybe get forward too much they were yeah they were rushing they weren't doing what they were supposed to do and obviously the Leicester game was a brutal example of that because you know it was a 5-2 and it was an aberration really that's not happened again but I do think that's an example of what Guardiola means when he says players sticking to their positions maybe they were rushing things a bit and maybe that goes back to last season a bit the more disorganized you are if you don't stay in your position you go looking for the ball you're more open so you lose the ball because you're rushing things and you're not in your position so you've got more counter-attacks Slowly but surely, he's he's fixed that with the players more in their positions, maybe earlier in the season. Um, but even when they were out of it, they were so compact, it was hard to counter-attack. But recently, and people have said, well, how has he been able to play so much more attacking but still be defensively solid? And part of it has just been that, you know, Diaz and Stones have been so good individually. So we saw in the last 10 minutes against Sheffield United and Brighton that when they're putting balls in the box, you know, City are pretty capable of dealing with that. So that's one part of it. But yeah, this other thing will be, as Guardiola has said a few times, and I don't think any of us are savvy enough to have noticed by watching, they stay in their positions and that helps sustain the attacks. So they're not giving the ball away on the edge of their own box and being counter-attacked, which happened last year. Wolves was a good example at the Etihad. Um, and they're, yeah, they're, um, they're keeping the ball. The attacks are being sustained and they're not out of position when they lose it. So people are saying... Hey, hang on, that, that that I mean that's that's another thing there as well. You might think I'm talking bollocks. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's not that at all. It's it's um it, it's just kind of like a light bulb moment in my head because I, the, the last few weeks I've been thinking, well, the pressing's been a lot better. And yeah, pre- I was going to say everyone's been saying that. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's just been that their positioning's been better, and then they've been closer to the ball as the opposition have been trying to play through it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the reason for it is, but I thought the same. I would have said the same. And there have been times in games recently when I've gone, their pressing is much better now. They're winning the ball higher up but somebody asked me paramel he might be listening to this um he asked me on dm last week 
you know, that there's that stat passes per defensive action. So the fewer the passes the opposition team make before you make a defensive action, you know, a foul or a tackle or an interception or whatever, is you know the better. You know, if if the other team may only make four passes and you're on them straight away, that's better than them making fifteen passes, which obviously means to sit back. So he asked if those stats had had improved from City, and they actually hadn't. They're roughly the same. Well, it's improved by like a couple of decimal places. You know, the number after the decimal point is a bit different. So it's improved a bit, but so it's not. Ne- it's ne- but it's negligible, yeah. Yeah, negligible, of course. Um, and the other thing I looked at is how often they've won the ball back in the final third. And, you know, pressing doesn't always have to be the final third. Pressing can be, you know, I noticed something on Saturday when they just won the ball back well in their own half. You know, that's better organisation as well. But in their final third, it's like it's, it's exactly the same. And Guardiola, he's, he's like refuted that. Um, and he was asked about it after the game on Saturday, and he said, you know, the pressings looked better recently, and he was like, he, I don't think he cut him off, but it was one of those where he jumped straight in, and he was like, no, it's always been there. He goes, it's always been the same, because if you don't run when you haven't got the ball at City, you're not here anymore, you're not at the club. Um, and I, I don't think that's always been the case. I do think there have been times where last season it was a bit more, well, in fact, he even admitted last season it was more passive. But this season, the numbers kind of backed that up, um, and City weren't being counted on, were they? I, I just think it's those kind of subtle things where he knows where his players are supposed to be exactly and they haven't quite been there. So as you say, that light bulb moment, it may just be the the way they've been able to win the ball back quicker or may, maybe it looks more efficient or whatever or maybe it's just because, oh yeah, they're in the right position straight away. So all of a sudden, if somebody wins the ball back 20 yards out from the Brighton goal but all of a sudden Gundogan's there Foden's there and they're on him straight away or even three people around him maybe that's just the positioning rather than the effort and maybe so when Guard, you know what Guardiola's like if you ask a question that broadly he might agree with but if you get the wording slightly wrong he'll, he'll pick up on the wording bit so he might agree that their efforts to win the ball back are better or they're doing a better job. But if you say it's down to effort, he'll say, no, 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 it's not about effort. We always had the effort, but it was probably a bit more disorganized. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's take some questions from, from Twitter as well, Sam. Uh, we yeah, punted yeah. for them this morning. Um, JC asks, do you expect Pep to rotate Laporte and Stones throughout the season or is Stones' time done now Laporte is back? Also, which one starts in the <laughs> no, big games no, at Anfield no. next week? I mean, how un- how unfair would that be <laughs> on Stones? Like, look, we had this con- look, we're having this conversation before the Manchester derby, you know, the, the infamous nil-nil that I re- refer to now in every article tiresomely about how it's the turning point but you know people were saying oh is is Laporte going to come back in but I was like no after what he said about you know playing well and you know being consistent and if you make mistakes you're not going to be in or whatever you can't just drop stones before this derby because he's done so well and he did so well in that game and he did he's done so well since like it's no you can't just just because Laporte came back in and did all right, you can't just drop Stones straight away. Stones will play at Burnley. I'll be amazed if he didn't play at Burnley. So was was the decision on Saturday to rest Stones? Well, yeah. Like, and we were saying this before. So Laporte came back into the team at Marseille, didn't he? There was a game against Marseille at the Etihad, and he played and he played well. And that's how Stones got his 
um, chance in the team because he was playing well at a time when Guardiola basically had a Premier League team at weekends and like a midweek team for the Champions League games and the League Cup games where he'd make a few changes. And Stones did so well in those midweek games. He earned his place at a time when Laporte didn't do so well in the weekend games. But now, you know, there's no Carlton Cup, no, Carabao Cup games. There's no Champions League games. These opportunities to get back in are going to be far harder for Laporte. And like I said, right back at the start in terms of the thinking for resting these players. If you look at all those fixtures, there's only one game that you're thinking, I can make some changes here. And it's Sheffield United. So Laporte got a chance to kind of rest stones, to keep Laporte in some kind of match fitness in case he's needed. And look, we'll get to the Anfield. Maybe he'll play left back. I don't know. Um, no, but that was a rotation thing. You know, Stones, it wasn't like Stones, you've had a good run, but you're out now because Laporte deserves to come back in. The same way it was like Cancelo's not going to sit on the bench now because Walker's back or Rodri's going to sit on the bench now because Fernandinho's back. It was a rotation thing. I'd be absolutely amazed if Stones didn't play. He does, he does not deserve whatsoever to have lost his place. Um, Laporte's done well. He's doing all he can. But those opportunities for him to get back in the team are, are going to be fewer and further between than they were earlier season, just because of earlier in the season, because of how the the fixture lists are. Um, so, sorry, again, I've done that Guardiola thing of picking up on one part <laughs> of the question and vehemently disagreeing. What was the rest of the question again? Uh, just which one starts in the big games. I, I'm, oh, right, I'm, right. I'm starting to wonder if, uh, actually, if it might be Laporte at Anfield just because of the option then, as we were talking about last week, about the left foot and the, the switch. Yeah, but... When I was talking about that, and this is something I was thinking about anyway when he said about the big games, that was like kind of all things being equal. Laporte's been back. He's played a lot. He's been as reliable as Stones, and it's the toss of a coin between the two. Maybe and we're, not, we're not there yet. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think Guardiola can think. I'm putting myself in his shoes, but I don't think Guardiola can be like, right, if I play Laporte at Anfield, I can be 100% convinced that he's going to do as well as Stones would. Or, and there's also the other element of, I just don't think Stones deserves to, to drop out. Stones has not done anything to deserve, well, on the pitch, certainly. I don't know what he's been like off it, but I would imagine everything's been been fine with the whole recent revival. The other, Yeah, so those two elements, I don't think at this point Guardiola can make that call just yet. I, like I was saying, I was talking about, you know, our hypothetical game against Atletico Madrid in like April, when, you know, Laporte's played five or six times in the Premier League and been brilliant. And all of a sudden, it's just one of those toss of a coin things where, you know, City players have to deal with that. Like the forward line changes all the time. You're in and you're out and you've got to keep up your level. I, I think that will come later in the season. Um, I don't know, obviously, what they'll do at Anfield. But if he stays with a back four and there's just two normal centre-backs, I would think it would be Stones and Diaz. Yeah. Um, well, just on the back four thing, Loz says, could you ever imagine a time when City are playing a back three, given the defensive options in the middle? I guess that kind of relies on, on Mendy being fit for as a wing back. Well, yeah. Um, I don't... Th Look, I'm sure there are ways for it to work. Um, I'm obviously a bit scarred by the Leon back three as well. I know that's not the only way to play it. But... Um, I don't know. I mean, you, you look, you could ask Cancelo just to stay wide, but he gives you so much everywhere. Seems a bit of a waste. And my, my whole thing about this is, it seems like you're sacrificing too much in the team to get an extra centre-back in when you don't need it. Yeah. They don't need an extra centre-back. Stones and Diaz have been fine. Make it, make it um, Laporte and Diaz. Make it Laporte and Stones if you want. You don't need an extra centre-back. I just don't think you need that. And also, like I said last week, obviously, look, Laporte's been given that chance in the team. But there's also an element of how well has he taken it? Does he deserve to come back in over somebody who's been, who's, you know, Stones has been the great example of 
kind of fighting for your place. It's taken him long enough, and you know maybe there was that sliding doors moment with Garcia not going, but he's grabbed his opportunity at last, and you can't fault him for that. Laporte, the reaction has not been quite the same. It's not the case that, oh, this guy, you know, like when Guardiola's talked about Bernardo not playing or Foden not playing, he says, even in the bad moments, oh, Zinchenko, and says, even in the bad moments, they've got smiles on their faces, and it's so hard to leave them out. I don't think it's hard to leave Laporte out because I don't think that smile has been on his face, shall we just say. So there's that element, but I just don't think you need to to hammer in an extra centre-back and take somebody else out. And you talk about the makeup of the team, there's no good attacking left-back, really. Cancelo, I've highlighted how well Cancelo's done kind of statistically and how much of a threat he's been for City earlier in the season when City weren't playing too well. But I still don't like the fact that he's he's right-footed and he plays on the left. And I think we've seen that him playing on the right and him going through into midfield has been fantastic. So I don't I was, want to waste that. Yeah, I was going to say he's not a left-back, though, but then when he plays right-back, he's not a right-back either. He's, he's this enigma that kind of like drifts into the, into the yeah, centre so of the he, field. He can, so, certainly, yeah, yeah. he can certainly offer something there. I'm not saying he's a right-off. He's done much better than I expected as a left-back, but I think he's better on the right and through the middle from the right because even earlier in the season I think it was against Sheffield United again away he was he was playing inside from the left but I just think it, he's better on the right so you'd be sacrificing that Mendy if he's fit and firing it's an option definitely it's an option but you know it's a big if we don't need to waste too much time on that and also you've got Zinchenko in his perfect role at the moment I was speaking to to a mate over the weekend about this it's it's Mike he's probably listening hello Mike uh, <laughs> he, he was saying um he was like, Zinchenko, and I'm probably going to nick this for an article, but now you know I'm honest about it. He was like, Zinchenko, well, I mean, would he get into another top six team? And if he did, where would he play? And like Guardiola was asked on Friday, he was like, you know, is there any chance of using Zinchenko where he normally plays? And I think, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of, he's not especially fast. And, you know, I, can't, I don't think he said he hasn't got that killer instinct or whatever, but the long and the short of it is, he's, he's carved out a niche for himself in in a way that you only kind of really get, or or it's one of the few examples in world football that you get, where Guardiola can find a position for a player and it suits them down to the ground. Um, I was going to go off on a tangent then, but it's not worth it. It was about Chile and Wigan. Uh, it's just not worth it. Uh, <laughs> Burn, what? <Burnley. laughs> All right, well, um, Jean Beauchajour used to play um, wing-back for Chile in one of Bielsa and San Paoli's, like, fantastic system. <laughs> and he played for Wigan, and I think he played for Birmingham. But it was just never, he was never asked to do the same thing. And it was like, well, like, I can see why you signed him, but at the same time, are you going to play the same way as Bielsa's Chile? Like, probably not. So it's, like, so it's like anyone who signed Zinchenko, they would have to know where they wanted to use him because no, no other team that I can think of in the Premier League is going to get him to come and play in next to the defensive midfielder. And he's so good at that. So to go back to what I was saying, you, you, you're missing out on the best Cancelo. Zinchenko has got a role that suits him. So... You're struggling a bit with wing-backs there. Walker's not really suited to being a wing-back. I'm sure he could play it, but Guardiola clearly uses him in a deeper role and more to like build up the play and stay in that back three they're using at the moment for build-up. And then you're, just, you're missing that someone else. I'm trying to think. So you've got three centre-backs, the goalkeeper, so that's four. Then you've got two wing-backs, so that's six. So you've got five more players, and Rodri and Gundogan are already going to play. So then you've got, um, you've got three more players. And Guardiola's going to want another midfielder, so De Bruyne has to play. So then he's got two more. And he's got Foden to choose from. He's got Jesus, he's got Aguero, he's got Bernardo Silva, he's got Mares. Uh Am I missing anyone out? That's five. Raheem like, Sterling. Sterling, fucking Jesus. Exactly. Like I'm not missing Sterling out because, because I don't think less of him. I just There's so many, I forgot. Um, so that's what I mean. Like Instinctively, I'm just like, you're taking, a, you're taking an attacking player out of the team. 
and especially now with how the left backs and the the right backs and the inverted backs and whatever you want to call them it how they're playing i just don't think and i know it's a long answer but i just don't think a back three makes any sense and i bet he plays it at anfield now <laughs> but no i mean if he does play at anfield and i mean maybe this leads into the next question but if he does play laporte I, I, wonder, I, I wonder if, if it... Laporte came on at West Brom, that was kind of a back three situation. He might have been having yeah. a look at it. But if he does play, it might be like when he's played Laporte at left back against Liverpool in the past, in the Champions League game and in the game where Sane got the winner. Um, it's more of a kind of swivel thing where yeah. it, it, it's, a, it's a back three, but you haven't got a left wing back. You've got Laporte there. And then he tucks in when they've got the ball. So if, if, if they were to do a three-centre-back three, back, three back thing, it would be that rather than you've got three centre-backs and two wing-backs. So maybe that I will leave that door open. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Aguero in the uh, options there up front. Uh, Ian Sharma asks, what is the status of Sergio Aguero? Do you think he can be back for Burnley or is it Liverpool that's a more realistic target for him being in the matchday squad? Well, it's fitness now. It's fitness now. Um, Aguario, so he's back. Like Obviously, he posted his update. Um and there was a couple of clickbaity headlines around that. I thought they might as well have just gone the whole hog and said Aguero posts positive COVID update and just confused everyone with the use of positive. But it was positive news. He's tested negative. Um, so he's back. <laughs> but, um, that was like a line from The Simpsons, Mike. <laughs> well, yeah, it was some. Yeah, that's my, my, my comedy is very convoluted. It, it's like Stuart Lee, but terrible. Um, so yeah, that's how I like to do my jokes. Um, but no, he's back. Um, he's back in the team. He's training. He's But... So that Birmingham game, was it the 10th of January? So three weeks ago, and he missed that because he was isolating because, you know, his his brother-in-law had it and then his girlfriend had it and then he had it. So he's not been training for three weeks. Um, I don't know what his knee situation is. So I couldn't tell you if it's if he's struggling. But, you know, he did come back earlier in the season, didn't he? With it, And he had the hamstring injury, which then kept him out. So if we just say he's missed three weeks worth of training, coaches before Pep have said he's taken his time to get back up to speed a bit um, Burnley's going to be way too soon I think um, he's not always played as a number nine in big games at Anfield anyway so even if yeah. you're worth it they've got that whole other debate which I won't go into about whether he'd play Jesus or the Jesus debate at the moment maybe play somebody else as a false nine instead um, so I don't think so um, but because I said earlier there's no easy way to get him back in there's no, you've got, well, I suppose um, Swansea is probably the best bet. Swansea's the best bet. I'll, I'll take that back. Swan, I forgot about Swansea. That's going to happen. I would imagine if he's fit enough, he'll play in that game. And then, because there's this whole issue about his contract and not having contact from City yet, and the fact that they said, if you want to get a contract, you need to be fit by the end of the year. And he wasn't. So that doesn't look good. But if he plays against Swansea, and then he comes off the bench against Spurs and bangs in a goal, and then he starts against United, bangs in a goal, you know, there's going to, those contract talks are going to happen. So he's got plenty of time. I wouldn't expect to see him in the next week. Um, but as much as it, it looks like the clock's ticking, and it is a bit, there's so many games, so many important games. You know, he could do something in, in the Champions League as well. So I've answered the question about yeah, will he feature this week? Probably not. But I've also tried to answer the bit about you know, his future. And I, as much as it's like a bit of a ticking clock, I do think there's plenty of opportunities for him. And I'm not sure if somebody else has asked it, but um, you know, people have been saying, oh, you know, City have been playing so well. 
without a number nine recently, a false nine. Is that something Guardiola's going to do all the time? Uh, Guardiola was asked that again at the weekend, uh, Friday, and he said, no, you know, sometimes I want one, sometimes I want two, sometimes I don't want any, it depends how I feel. Um, but I think my answer to that would also be, if he had a proper number nine who was banging in the goals, then they'd be playing, but he hasn't got one. Like, because yeah. Jesus has been, he, he's had COVID, he's been recovering from COVID, so he's not played for, for those very valid reasons. And Aguero's not been around, so he's had to find alternatives. But with those two back, yeah, there'll there'll be opportunities for those two. Absolutely, I don't I don't think City are moving on from Aguero just yet. They're, they'll they'll need him, and that's a good question. We'll come to at the end as well, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, Niles Disco Pants asks: uh, Should Sterling play at Anfield given his previous lacklustre efforts there? Uh, cr- the crowd being gone will help him, but I still fear his history with them affects his game and the kicking that they're allowed to give him for the same reasons. I'd go for <laughs> Foden, Jesus, Mares with Fernandinho, Rodri, and Gundogan. Hmm. Thing is, like with stuff like this. Like, it's impossible to predict what he's going to do anyway. Because, like, like Sheffield United, for example, he could have just said, well, he's going to play Stones, he'll play Diaz. But obviously, it comes into the, you know, it comes into it where you've got the element of needing to rotate. So it's impossible to predict anyway. But against a team like Liverpool, and we know by now, like, he's going to find something that he doesn't like or he needs to stop or a way that he can exploit them. But we're never going to notice that in a million years. So my mate Gaz always says that Guardiola's head's like a million Rubik's cubes all spinning at light speed at once. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like what like the Queen's Gambit, like that the 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 Netflix um, not documentary drama about chess. Like I don't know how to play chess. I'm not going to predict what her next move is. Like I, I know how to watch football, but I'm not a coach. So it's always dodgy ground predicting what Guardiola's going to do anyway. But what I would say is I'd be surprised if Fernandinho played. Um, as well as Rodri. I think it'll be Rodri, Gundogan and Bernardo, if I had to guess. But, you know, he might do that mad thing where, I don't think exactly he's going to do this, but again, if we're talking about predicting what he's going to do at Anfield, the first time in the Champions League when he played Laporte left-back-ish and Gundogan on the right in midfield to get him in, into midfield, maybe he'll do something like that. But, I mean, if he does anything like he's done recently with the three midfielders, I'd be surprised if he played Fernandinho in there as well. But, you know, I'd... I'd I don't know. I'm not going to nail any colours to the mask, really, about this one. Um, there's just so many different things he could do. Yeah, well, just on selection, uh, Diviam asks, uh, we can see a tricky run of fixtures in the month of February coming up, so what do you think the lack of De Bruyne and Aguero could do to the functioning of the team? Uh, even though other players have stepped up, De Bruyne and Aguero can sometimes provide that bit of magic in difficult games. Yeah, so this is really interesting. So, I mean, Aguero we're kind of covered already, and I just think that like Aguero is Aguero. You don't need me to tell you how good he is. Like Aguero was already amazing five years before I started covering City. And for five years, we've been talking about how great he is. So yeah, I don't need to add any more to that. De Bruyne is really interesting in the way that obviously he's brilliant. Um, but the way that City are so brilliant themselves means that as long as everything's ticking along nicely, it almost doesn't matter whether he's playing or not. And what I mean by that it's a bit like the Gabriel Jesus article I wrote at the weekend, where I was like, one sentence was, last season was the best scoring campaign of his career. And the very next sentence was, but he missed the most big chances in the league. And it's literally just, I'm just trying to state facts. But obviously with De Bruyne, overall the message is, he's absolutely fantastic. It's praise. The short answer is, every City fan knows the City have coped without De Bruyne in that 2018-19 season, and they were amazing. So, what De Bruyne can contribute to a team that's working as brilliantly as City have been recently is, I kind of explained it last week after the West Brom game, when I said how gradually, since the derby, 
they've become less reliant on him because others are creating more chances as well. But he's still been creating more chances than the others. They've just become slightly more variable. There's, there's more ways they, they can create chances. But when the team's working so well, I think, based on, look, it's only really been the last couple of games, but mainly 2018-19 when they won the, the, the three trophies. If the team's working well, you can put Bernardo Silva in there and you've got so many options, it doesn't matter. And that's how good City are, that they can cope without a player as good as De Bruyne. Because on the other hand, in 2017-18, arguably should have won player of the year, but Salah won it. Okay, argument for another day. Salah was really good, fine. And in 2019-20, last season, when he was fitter all season, he won player of the year. Um, but the question being how much can they, you know, can they still contribute with City playing like this? They will still contribute a huge amount. De Bruyne will come back into the team and get a load of assists. And look, we don't know what's going to happen against Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, United. He should be back by United. He should be back by Gladbach, maybe. Um, but I would think they should be okay. But the biggest difference we will see with De Bruyne not being in the team comes into if they're not okay. The biggest difference we saw last season was when he didn't start at Norwich because Guardiola was resting him. And he didn't play against Wolves because he was injured. And he didn't play against United at the Dar in the Derby at Old Trafford just before football stopped. When City aren't playing well, they rely on him a hell of a lot. And like earlier in this season, we've talked about it a lot, October, November time, September time, when they weren't really creating a lot, they were leaning on him so much to create their chances. Because it was just a case of, as we said earlier, they weren't doing an awful lot. They weren't playing too many risky passes. They weren't even putting balls into the box, you know, crossing like they usually do. It was a bit of Cancelo. It was Mares coming in off the right and kind of combining with De Bruyne. But above all, it was De Bruyne using his own amazing individual talents to kind of carry City through and carry that creative burden. So you almost notice him more when City aren't playing well. And we don't know how they're going to play over the next month or so without him against better teams. Um, but that's just the, the crazy thing about De Bruyne. And I've kind of you know combined two talking points into one. But that's the beauty of City. We saw it in 2018-19. They missed their best player, their most creative player. And you, wouldn't have, you couldn't have told they missed him. Bernardo, Sterling and uh, David Silva, they've kind of shared that creative burden between them. At the moment, before he was injured and since, um, they've had Gundogan, they've had Foden, they've had Sterling, they've had Mahrez, they've had Cancelo. So even though they've been good without him in the past and in the very recent past. When he comes back, City's results and performances may be about the same, but what you'll get is just those breathtaking moments that De Bruyne gives you. Where, you know, and if he comes back at the end of Feb and people start voting for player of the year again, and he starts banging in those crosses from the right and sliding through those through balls. And he's got all sorts of runners. And he's got people creating space for him. And he's got Foden stretching the play on the left. And he's got Gundogan taking people away from him in the other kind of half space. We're going to start talking about De Bruyne getting player of the season again. So City could theoretically win all of their next games. People will say they didn't miss De Bruyne whatsoever. But then he'll come back in and he'll probably get player of the year. Just by adding on top of that fantastic system that City have got, his own kind of individual brilliance and if City do struggle in the next few games and they get to the stage where it's like God we need to bring it back then he will come back and he'll drag them up to his level again yeah. so that's that the longest answer in the world 
but that's how I see it basically. Because but it, so it feels like win-win though. So I'm, exactly, I'm right that's, exactly, that's exactly what I mean. Uh, the only problem is if they go back to the kind of performances from earlier in the season or the end of last season, or, or well, basically throughout last season. Yeah. But you know, there were some games where even De Bruyne can't carry them through. It's not like they lost all the games when he didn't play last year. They lost some games when he did play because he can't do everything. But when the team is more solid and more stable and more set up, as they are at the moment, as they were in 2018-19, it's win-win, yeah. Let's change direction a little bit now, Sam, because Neil asks, uh, I've uh, read Sam's recent article on the youngsters going out on loan. Uh, great article, by the way. Uh, is, Ty- is Taylor Harwood-Bellis now going out on loan a bit of a make-or-break for him in terms of whether he becomes another Tosin? And I'm guessing that means, obviously, not getting into City's team and moving on to somebody else. Yeah, well, so the article was about the kind of... the. The current situation with the whole kind of city on loans. Now, I would have written that article. Well, I'm glad that I did check in the end. But um, I would have written that article and said, look, the general policy at City is the best players don't go out on loan. Look, Foden wasn't going out on loan. Doyle hasn't gone out. Howard Bellis hasn't gone out. And that's what I would have said. But then I spoke to somebody at the club on Thursday, or somebody who knows what's going on at the club anyway, on Thursday um, about what the what the actual policy is and i was told yeah well actually and this wasn't what i was expecting harwood bellis and doyle would have gone out already because it's all about you know last season they wouldn't have gone out on loan because they hadn't played like a full season of under 23s and remember they're like 18 19 or 19 so they haven't played a full season of under 23s and obviously since then they've got more first team experience with city but now they've had five or six full games each with the first team loads of first team training loads of under 23 games so the next step is you've basically done everything you can at this moment in time with city the best thing is go out on loan and prove yourself elsewhere and get minutes elsewhere because that's what you need for your development a bit like when um murich stood in for bravo the other season i think it was the trouble season um and everyone was like, oh, he's going to be number two next season. But because he didn't play as much as City thought he should play that season, they loaned him out. And yeah, that didn't really work out. And he might go on loan again uh, on Monday. Um, but that's another story. Um, but the thing with Doyle and Howard Bellis not having gone out so far as we record at 11 o'clock on Monday morning is because with COVID, City might need the extra depth. But what I was able to write on Thursday about this was Harwood Bellis' situation might change because if Garcia doesn't go to Barca, City will have, as we've already talked about, three fantastic centre-backs, as we've already talked about, plus Ake, who's a fantastic centre-back. And he should he's just taking his time with his recovery from a hamstring injury. That's all there is. Like, There's not much time between games. They don't want to rush him. They don't want him to be injured again. They want him to be fit for the second half of the season. So they've got those four. And then if something happens, they've still got Garcia, who everyone can have their own thoughts on this, but he's here because Barca aren't buying him now. And he's here and Guardiola trusts him. And he's he's more ready um, for first team football in Guardiola's eyes, I think, than Harwood Bellis. So because he stayed, Harwood Bellis can go and get that experience on loan that City, in an ideal world, would have given him like two or three weeks ago when Blackburn first wanted to get him. With Doyle, and I could look stupid here, but I don't think Doyle's going out on loan because there's not quite that depth in that holding midfield position. Say Fernandinho gets injured and Rodri gets COVID or something, Doyle gets a lot closer to that team yeah. straight away. 
So that's the thinking. And I know it's a long one there, but that's what I want to kind of, Basically, the headline did me no favours again. It said, why City's best young players won't be going out on loan. And lo and behold, hold Bellis is. In the article, <laughs> it did say he might go on loan because, you know, if Garcia doesn't go. So I wanted to kind of explain that and I'd not look like a moron again. Um, but, yeah, the other thing is, when we talk about Foden, and this is why I would have been wrong just to write that piece blind and say City's young players just don't go out on loan, look at what happened to Foden. It's important for everyone to remember, including me, that even though these players are really good, and Palmer as well, and like McAtee and Robertson coming through in the future, and Be- and Bete as well, they're not all Foden. Like Foden is unbelievable. Like These players are very good, and they have Premier League careers or championship careers which is good really good if they don't make it at City they're really good but Foden is unbelievable and there was no way anyone was going to get him on loan and teams tried because they like, on one hand Foden wanted to stay and learn he was like there's no point in getting game time in a system that isn't City and City was like well we want him to stay here and learn with us the same kind of thing he could get game time but in a different system but going back to this question from Neil there is, a, there is an element of having to accept without saying that these are bad players because, of course, they're not. They're, not, they're very good. But they're just not quite Foden. So, and also, the opportunities aren't quite there. As I've just said, there are five centre-packs ahead of Harwood Bellis. There are a lot in front of Rodri. And if there wasn't an infectious disease going around the planet, Doyle would go out as well. Yeah. So, yes, there's an opportunity there to kind of go out and not be another toes in. But I do think, generally, if you go out on loan... Like it again, it's not a bad thing. It's a statement of fact. The doors are a bit more closed to the first team on you than they are to Foden. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who's gone out on loan and then come through. The and... only one, and this is going to take us well over two hours on this podcast running time, <laughs> <laughs> but the only one um, and the only emerging talent player, so the only player that the CFG signs and loans out to somebody else with the idea of probably selling for profit and maybe playing for City, the only emerging talent player who's played for City and the only player who's gone out alone and played for City is Zinchenko. Yeah. And that, as I've said many times, goes back to the summer of 2017 when Danny Alves didn't come and that meant they couldn't sign a second left-back, which would have been Ryan Bertrand, I think. Um, so they had to... So they only got one left back, obviously. And then Mendy got injured straight away. So they played Danilo there a bit. They played Delph there a bit. And obviously when that didn't even work, they were like, okay, we'll we'll try Zinchenko a bit. And it was only until 18 months after that transfer window, the second half of 2018-19, where Zinchenko really got into that team. And then last season he was poor and now he's back in it. So like incredible circumstances. Again, I'm just talking as fact. And people always think any kind of story about City in the academy the way it's framed, the narrative or whatever, is there's no pathway, blah, 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 which is used as a stick to beat City with. But at the same time, it's also kind of a statement of fact. But it's just because, like, well, they've got, like, 20 top-class international players. And they do play a lot. Like, Foden's played his 100th game for City. Like, we're talking about Harwood Bellis. When we watched the, the Cheltenham game, I'm sure the TV commentator said, like, the 19-year-old's got six starts under his belt that's a lot that is a lot but you can't feasibly expect them to play anymore like when Rashford's come through at United it's because like did Martial and like Falcao or something like that, whoever it was got injured in the warm-up so it's like well Rashford played and got that chance but City's squad is just so deep and so good you don't 
they don't really get those opportunities. And maybe that's where Doyle's is going to come from in the next couple of months. Maybe yeah. there will be some kind of injury crisis and they bang him in. And it's like, wow, this kid's amazing. And that's, that's the little bit of luck you need. Like Garcia got his little bit of luck last year in the fact that Laporte was out and everybody else who played centre-back was just a disaster, basically. Fernandinho was good. But like Artemendi and Stones, they were a disaster last season. So Garcia got his little break as well. Obviously, he's got, he wants to go back to Barcelona, so fine. But you need that little bit of luck. And yeah, so he's out on loan. The fact of the matter is, it's hard to get into the City first team. Even if he performs really well at Blackburn, will he be another Tosin? And by that, I don't mean anything bad, but what I just mean, will he be another quality player who can play in the Premier League, but maybe hasn't got the door open to him at City? Yeah, possibly, possibly. Because again, I don't mean to do these lads down in any way, shape or form, because they're so good. It's just a kind of, and I'm not playing into the narrative at all. It's just a statement of fact. Like, how is Howard Bellis going to get into the top four centre-backs of City next season? Like, if if one of them were to leave, City will know exactly who they're going to buy already. They will go and spend the money they get from the player who leaves and pay it on someone's buyout clause. Like they're yeah. not, they, won't, they won't say, oh, we'll just promote Howard Bellis unless, again, this window of opportunity opens and somebody leaves and, oh, God, we can't get the guy we want because he's gone to Man United because United have said... We're going to buy whoever City want and pay them more wages, as, which is the usual tactic. Um, <laughs> and maybe they're left with three centre backs, so they get Harwood Bellis back because maybe he's been great on loan and that is opportunity. But the chances are, if somebody leaves a centre back, which, you know, they, I don't know, they probably won't, City would replace him with a top player anyway. So, yeah, is it going to be another toast in? Possibly, you know, because these lads are really good. Um, but how do you. How do you get into City? And that's why City have got buybacks on so many of these lads they sell out because there's just no space. But yeah. they're going to be great players. And if they get all their not, if they get all their good opportunities and everything goes well for them, City could buy them back for 25 million and they've got a bargain. And look, it, it looks a bit bad that maybe you have to buy somebody back, but that's just kind of how it works. Like that's like so Sancho, that was a difficult one because that, there was there was kind of fallouts there and it didn't work out ideally how anybody would have wanted. And it would be kind of embarrassing, I suppose, if they had to buy 100 million to, to get him back. But like with these lads, if they had to let Doyle go and Howard Bellis go because there's just no space in the squad for them and they've got a really good offer, for example, from Southampton to go and play Premier League football and they get 15 million, but they could buy back for 30. That's a good offer. That's like, that's like a loan. That's like go and improve somewhere else. And because you're city lads, you're local lads, you love city, you love Stockport, you're proper birds, you can come <laughs> back in the future. So yeah, that's that's just how it is, I think. So yeah, may, maybe maybe we'll see that. Maybe the fact that, that they're op they're open to loans suggests that. But and I've talked myself around in circles again, but I just don't want it to ever be seen as another, oh, you know, City can't produce players for the first team. It's like, well, are you, nobody else in the world has got a squad as deep as it is. So yeah. what do you expect? And also nobody's got... Well, a lot of clubs have got so many good players, but it's just a backlog. They're, they've got so many, they just can't fit them in. Like, it's just a bit of a unique situation. It's not a bad thing. They're still finding opportunities for these lads. It's a good thing The Howard Bellis can go on loan. And yeah, we'll see what happens next. Uh, well, final question, Sam. Let's see if we can't get to the two-hour mark with this one. Because uh, Sam Wayne asks, uh, has the leaking of Messi's contract, specifically oh, the yeah. huge cost of it all, put the club off signing him? Or did they know the value or aren't bothered by the cost? Uh, and you can you can weave as much as we want into that because uh, there's also the talk of Haaland as well at the moment, isn't there? That's been ongoing uh, for weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately for those people who think I'm rubbish, I'm not, I can't really add too much on Haaland other than what I said the other week. You know, if 
they want a striker. I've not heard specific, nobody's specifically said yes, they want Haaland, but from what's been reported by good people and you know, don't you don't need to worry about whether they'll deal with Rayola. It might be a problem later on, but in principle, yes, they'll deal with him, they'll try and buy him, whatever. Um, they'd be stupid not to. Um, but the messy thing, like come on, like do you not think they knew how much he was on? It was <laughs> like that that um those that kind of um what's what you call it? Like those avenues of information, that is not a phrase whatsoever. But there, there's, there's all that back channeling going on. It's been going on forever. You know, City know exactly um, what he's on, what would be needed to make it happen. You know, they were ready to make it happen. You know, I was like, oh, God, Jesus, I was having a stupidest conversation with somebody on Twitter yesterday. I was saying, look, City will try and buy him again in the summer or get him again in the summer. Um, he was like, do you think they're going to go to 138 million euros? I was like, no. Like they, they can they can still offer him their 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 record wages without paying him 138 million. And he was like, I can't believe you think, I, was, I don't, literally didn't say that. City are not going to pay him 138 million, I don't think. They will find a way to pay him a shitload of money and, you know, make him ambassador of New York or whatever, like the city itself, I don't know, whatever. Like, they will find a way to make it happen, just as they would have found a way to make it happen in the summer if he could have left Barca. They know the figures on that contract. They know what Messi, like, I can't tell you right now, this day, if Messi would sign the contract in front of him, but I'm pretty certain that if City had have sent over that contract to him in the summer, he would have signed it if he could have left Barca. So yeah, there's no, there's no problem with that. They know the terms. They know the terms. Um, and yeah, um, the only other thing is there was a report um, on Messi a couple of months ago that got kind of taken on a lot. And you know, the report said, um, you know, City have moved on now. That door's closed. But interestingly. Uh, Messi's people got in touch with somebody close to that reporter and said, "What? Like, what's that? Well, that's not true at all. Like, that's the opposite of what's going on. City are very much in contact with us." Um, and like, whether you choose to believe that or think it's a double bluff or something, that's up to you. But I personally think that's that's spot on. And the other the other thing is, I kind of I'm probably getting myself in trouble again here. But that that De Bruyne contract thing we mentioned the other week, and we, as we discussed it, I was basically just running through the details of Christoph's story. But I was speaking to somebody else the other day about Messi, and they said they were like, they just mentioned in on a tangent. They go, De Bruyne is really pissed off about how you know they get they're going to pay so much money for Messi, and they haven't really given him a great offer because apparently he was, um, I won't say which teammate it was, but he was complaining to one of his Belgium teammates. <laughs> about 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 it you know in that kind of de bruyne way that he's yeah. not very subtle when he's pissed off um, and then that you know somebody who's our best mate with that player told the guy i was speaking to so again like it's it's hardly first hand but um i i know where that christoph story came from so i know it's fine and that this i ch i choose to believe this you don't have to choose to believe me but so so there's that element as well so all arrows are still pointing towards city still want to sign messi and obviously, just there's just a sheer fact that last this time last year, the assumption was there's no way they'd want to buy Messi now because he's old and he costs too much. But never underestimate the absolute desire and determination at City to sign Messi. So, well, so, so it's all pointing towards him still. So yeah, there we go. Well, we're we're approaching an hour for this show, Sam. So one word, yes or no? Is is Messi wearing a City shirt next season? <laughs> Piss off. <laughs> uh, I think that's the best place to end it then in that case uh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's the end of this week's Why Always Us I'm David Mooney thanks as ever to Sam Lee yeah, thanks a lot thanks for sticking with us if you'd like to sign up to The Athletic now you'll get it for less than a pound a week just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City Pod The Athletic <laughs>